Um, so before I bring you on, let me just explain. I don't have pink eye, but my daughter, God bless her, did my makeup for 4th of July. You can see it's red, white, and blue. She also did my braid. So we were playing like mommy makeover today. Um, okay. Tell me you're a hand surgeon. Hello, and no, I'm not, but <laughs> like it's 4th of July. <laughs> but I was thinking of what I may have to take out of somebody's rear end this weekend or this oh, week. Oh, <laughs> that sounds exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that a thing? Like people, um, I mean, it's well known that people blow their hands off, but do they blow stuff up their butts too? I don't know. I've not had anybody do that one, but like, you know. I don't know, the fake homemade, you know, toys and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. How have you been? Good, good, good. Good. So I was just thinking about this um, as I did go just buy some fireworks because, and they're like, I was like, poop, there went money. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I have um, three three kids, and uh, like yesterday, I kind of got pretty upset at them. I'd been doing something with one of the kids all weekend, went to a scouting event, and then like yesterday, I took a nap when I got home, and when I came out, one of the kids was like, uh, kid number three is not here, and I'm supposed to clean up, and she never has to help, and then another kid was asking to get her nails done, um, like acrylic nails or something. I don't even know. Like, I don't do those. But, um, and then the other one, I asked her to put something away and she like huffed away and I'm just like, oh, I can't take it anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. What are their ages? Um, Like they're teenagers and down. So the older two are teenagers and the third one is like preteen, but definitely teenager-ish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what's the problem? They're not, they're just basically expecting you to do all the things. Yes. All the things. Yes. And like pay for all the things too and work for all the things. <laughs> these little monsters, I tell you what, we create these monsters, don't we? Just like ourselves. <laughs> yeah, this is a really interesting um, concept and something that I've actually been working on in my own family for six months. I've been actively working on getting the other members of the household to rise up. Yes. And it's been uh, a bit of a challenge. Well worth it though, because when we hold people to a higher standard, they're either going to rise up and meet it or they're not. And when they rise up and meet it, everybody's better off. And typically they do, especially if it's done well. Now I'm not saying I'm doing it well. It's been very clunky, but, um, I think a lot of people would benefit from just having a discussion around kids and kind of like what, what are we doing? What are we, 
who are these little people that we're raising? Like, what's the purpose of all of it? Um, so maybe it would be helpful if we kind of dialed into the specifics of that particular day. So you guys went, you went with your, which one for the scouting event, the youngest one? Youngest one. And we spent the night. And so, and then we came home and then I took a nap and then this crap was everywhere that we needed to put away from glamping and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so nobody's putting that away and it's just kind of up to you to put it away well I mean that's why I asked for help and I got that <laughs> which one of them gave you that a teenager oh no the one that went the youngest oh like, okay and it wasn't even like it was it wasn't the the sleeping bags or anything it was like her bag of her stuff like Mm -hmm. her clothes so I'm like just if you could just put that one away because I'd already washed the sleeping bags and had you um sorry have has this particular child been um required to do things like that regularly or was this like a new thing for her or what kind of they they're supposed to but they just you know I think they don't they a lot of times I'll just do it or you know their dad will just do it or they're so tired because they have sports or school or something Mm -hmm. and let me just add one other thing about the so tired part because this is something that I've experienced personally is that I'm so tired I just want to get it done Yes, and I want to take the path of least resistance which usually means me just doing the thing because I want the thing done right exactly and here's what I learned about that is when I do that it's because I want the thing done and I'm not really focused on what is the objective for raising the child, which I have shifted completely. So, um, maybe, I don't know, this might be a little bit indulgent if I tell you all about myself, but hopefully it'll be helpful. So I was thinking before, like, almost using the model that we teach against myself to say, um, well, if I want it a certain way, then just do it myself and be happy with that. Because then I'm like making myself happy by doing the things that I want, like getting the house in, in a certain shape, meaning like have the dishes be done and have the groceries bought and have the meals planned and have the laundry done and put away and all that stuff. But the problem is, is what that does is it cements in everybody else's mind in the household that I'm going to do it. Right. And it also robs them, particularly children. It robs them of an opportunity to learn critical life skills. So I completely shifted all of that to think, like, what the fuck am I trying to do here? Like before, I just wanted me to feel better and I wanted me to get to sleep with the house in somewhat of a semblance of like there was not just a bomb, a bottle rocket that exploded downstairs. 
Um, and there was a lot of guilt too. Like also the guilt of, um, you know, I'm never home. I just, I feel guilty that I'm never home. I just want their lives to be easy. And I just want to take care of this because, you know, I'm already not even here and all this stuff. So do these things so that I would feel better. Yes. Again, that's when I'm working for an emotion, my own emotion. And then when I realized, okay, well, what's the purpose of my role, my, um, my desires for my child or for her to be a functional human being. And now I only have one and you have three. There may be some differences there, but I just desire for her to be a functional human being. And frankly, I desire for my husband to be a functional human being. Cause frankly, the stay at home dads very often when the stay at home, excuse me, when the mom surgeons continue to, to wear all the hats and do all the things for the household for the same reasons, the stay at home dads then also kind of go into a deep, dark hole where they basically are. Um, yeah. I can just speak from personal experience. And so I don't want to use language that's going to be accusatory in any way. I just want to speak about what happened in my own family is it was emasculating. I was basically just like, infantilizing my husband and it was really detrimental to him he had his own shit too so there it takes two to tango don't get me wrong but anyway this is all to say that switching from working for my own emotions and the way I feel about everything to working for what's best for the family helped tremendously but it was not so comfortable for me because I yeah. just have to let things kind of suck a little bit. Here's mm-hmm. the funny thing, though, is if you let them suck a little bit, people start to be like just the other day, as a matter of fact, my daughter vacuumed the floor without provocation. And oh. I said to her, she's 10. And I said to her, why did you do that? And she said, because the floor was gross. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, what? <laughs> it works. It's I mean, this has been going on since January, really consistent effort since January. And it was just last week. So it took till the end of June, but she did it. And that's, that's what I'm talking about is, is this making sense kind of shifting from working from like the personal emotion of just get it done because I want it done or because I feel guilty or because I feel a certain way to give them an opportunity to learn the skill that is required to make this household function properly Yes. And also make life a little bit harder for them because they have it so easy. Maybe they don't, but my kid did. Oh my God. Just. Yes, they do. (laughs) And so then there were consequences. I'd be like, okay, well, you're, you have no clean underwear. I don't know what to tell you. I showed you how to do the laundry. So. Right. You know, if you need a refresher course on that, I'm happy to do it, but you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't feel good. But then the end result is I have a child who recognizes when the laundry needs to be done. And I have a child who cleans the floor now when it's gross. And I have a child who this morning, because I was getting my car serviced and I came home and she was in the kitchen farting around. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making my own breakfast. So I said, oh, what are you making? She was making eggs and a smoothie. She's 10. Awesome. I know. So it works anyway. 
What do you think about that? Yeah, that I think that's really, you're right. I probably have been very indulgent on thinking mm-hmm. myself and wanting to get it done just so I don't have to look at it. But yeah, that's probably a way I can run a model on that then how to get to. So this might be interesting though, bottle rocket. Let's do it for the benefit of the whole group. Let's write it out. Um, because I think, you know, ultimately what we're really doing is trying to rewire our own brains, right? We're trying to kind of like disrupt our default programming. And anytime there's an opportunity to practice disrupting our default programming, it's good for everybody. So if the default is, um, we'll just use like, what is it? The sleeping bag you said, put away or. It's not doing their chores. So that's probably the, or yeah, that's a, a circumstance. Kids yeah, did not. Chores. And the action is, is that you end up doing the things. Mom does right. the chores. So this is something I discovered only, only recently. When we're in the default programming and we talk yeah. about, the CTFAR, it's like, it's an obligatory top-down sequence of events. So like there's a thought, excuse me, there's a circumstance that triggers a thought. The thought then creates a feeling. The feeling drives our action and the action produces a result. It's like this obligatory anti-grade flow between the circumstance and the result. So there are chores the action is that mom does the chores. So what's the thought and the feeling then that produces the situation where you're doing the action? Um, the thought is I can't stand the mess. And then the feeling is irritation. Yeah. Of course, right? Of course it is. And so then, then you're, obli- excuse me, I'm getting really, really excited. As you can tell. <laughs> you get obligated when you're irritated. You're just like, do it. It's like almost like having a, an itch that needs to be scratched. So then of course you go and you do the chores. And then the result is, is that the mess is cleaned up. But the kids basically didn't learn anything. The kids remain, kids remain unskilled. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm ticked and I didn't get the stuff I needed to get done. Yeah. So the mess might be cleaned up, but the household is still a mess proverbially. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's the default programming. Now, if we go to a more of a strategic thing and we then, so that's when we're working for the emotion. We don't want to be irritated. And we're just so friggin' irritated. (laughs) That whole thing kind of reinforces the irritation. So when we work for the strategic CTFAR, this is so fascinating. And I only learned this recently is when you identify an ideal outcome, which is another way to say results. It's ideal outcome. So what's the Uh ideal outcome? Well, in my opinion, an ideal outcome in any household is that all members of the household are doing things to move the household forward 
And everybody is doing what they want to do, which means that when they're participating in things like doing chores, they actually want to do it. Right. Like my daughter the other day noticed the floor was messy and gross. And she's like, I want a clean floor. So she just cleaned it. Right. So it's not that we're strong arming anybody. It's not that we're like some sort of a dictator coming down. It's like, no, people want to participate in the success of the whole house. Yes. Okay. That's what I think is the ideal outcome. All members, I call it run the ball. Yeah. And they want to. So what actions would be required in order for all members to run the ball? Um, that they, everybody feels empowered. Okay. That's yes, that's true. But I, I would say that the first thing is, is mom can't do everything. Yeah, definitely. So mom needs to resign from the role of, of doer (laughs) of the doer. Right. Exactly. Mom resigns from the role of the ultimate doer. And the other action, because this is really your CTFAR we're talking about, like, then you are going to engage with your family in a way that invites them to participate. Yes. And when I think about an invitation, I think about like a wedding invitation. When you get a wedding invitation, it's very obvious what's happening. It's like there's a time and a date and a location and the players, and you know what's going to happen. You're going to go to this thing. You're going to sit for an hour, and then you're going to get to eat great cake, and there might be an open bar. So it's like delightful. When you get that invitation, you know what's happening. So instead of like a dictator type of a mode or like a, you guys need to do this or else I'm going to take away X, Y, or Z, which is not really an invitation. There's a different way to communicate with them. It's like, okay, well, um, uh, you know, I recognize that I have been the one who's been taking care of all of these things. And really what that has done has robbed you guys of the opportunity to learn critical life skills. And guess what's going to be really, really important in about four short years, especially for your teenagers. What's going to be really important is that you guys know how to do these things. And I'm here to help you learn. And here's how you do it. And then that's when you can like sh- do your invitation. It's it's just a different method of communication. Um, and then, you know, like, hey, if if you're going to do it, great. If you're not going to do it, well, guess what? I'm not either. Right. And that's it. And that's where you have to really hold your ground. Because it gets really frustrating. Or yeah. you can do what I did and just like get a job out of town and just leave. <laughs> Which also works. Okay, so what else would you need to do for all members to be running the ball? Um, Really what this is, is a family game. And so the family needs to know the game. Like the family doesn't even know the game because right now the game that you're playing is, is a mom does everything. They don't even know. They're going to be like, what? Like, it's going to be like, 
completely bizarre to them because they're just used to things being a certain way. So maybe um, get everybody on the same page of like what it is you guys are even trying to do yeah, for your household. Yeah. So yes, this probably comes before get them to participate. Um, teach them skills. Yeah. Okay. Um, then I think everybody gets the picture here. So here's where the fun part is on the default side. It's an obligatory top down kind of momentum of all these events. But when we're working backwards and you identify the result that you want, the rest of this can go in any order. It's really fascinating because we don't actually have to feel good in order to do these things. In fact, you can feel quite irritated. And as long as you have the ability to keep in mind your outcome that you're working for, you can always get yourself to continue to to do the actions that are necessary to get the outcome. And we know this is true because we do this when we're on call every single time. Who likes being on call? Nobody. But who (laughs) manages to execute calls successfully every single time? All of us. We Uh hate it and we do it anyway. Yeah. I know this is true. So you can be irritated and pissed and frustrated and feel guilty and all of that. And you can still execute these things when we're working from a bottom-up approach Mm -hmm. as long as you're intentional which is great it just doesn't feel that good to do it's not the best experience in the world so it is um probably more powerful and a better experience of the whole thing if we have other emotions to fuel sorry my dogs are having a frenzy if you guys can hear them barking Anyway, so that is to say, what would be a feeling that would be more powerful than irritation? Um, well, I would like to feel like I don't care, <laughs> but I don't, I think that's a. a yeah, a but we do care, right? Because we care that our kids are capable. Yes, that's true. So maybe like convicted or committed or determined or um or um yeah uh, what did you say probably committed committed that i am committed to empowering them yes that's exactly right so that then helps you with your thought It just shifts the whole thing completely from something that revolves around you and your comfort to something that revolves around an outcome that is going to produce capable kids. So that thought is, is like, I'm their mom. Who else is going to teach them how to be like outstanding people? Right. Yeah. So you said it in your own words, like I'm committed to empowering them. Yeah. 
and see how the whole thing is just transformed now. Yeah. And you need that because it's really hard to, uh, the hard part in all of this, all this is simple, all of it, all this coaching is super simple, but the reason why it's hard is because it requires such amount of effort to execute over and over and over and over again until we get a result. But the funny thing is, is that very thing characterizes our entire career as surgeons is doing things over and over and over and over again until we kick ass. That's true. Yes. The other thing that helps that I've noticed is assuming capability. We talked about this when I was on group call last week where some, one of our surgeon um, teammates was talking about getting her NPs and um, physician extenders kind of like making the best team. Uh And um, again, it's like the effort that is involved in doing it is it's continual, but it's worth it because not only does it make you better, it makes these other humans better, which is better for everybody. It's better for the whole world when we're engaging in that way. Definitely. Yeah. Does that seem? Yeah. Cool. Yes, I think I just need to think about it. And that makes me feel definitely better about the events of yesterday. And mm-hmm. Oh, that's a funny thing that you say that because what ends up happening when we're in default, we're working for our own emotion immediately. Mm-hmm. When we're in strategic and we're working for an ideal outcome, the emotion will take care of itself. You end up feeling amazing at the end of the day or at the end of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like the other day when my daughter was vacuuming, I was the amount of pride I had. I mean, (laughs) it, it far outweighed any emotion that I'd ever experienced before when I was doing everything. It felt so good, but it was the, it was the, um, byproduct of it. It wasn't like the point of it. It was the byproduct. So the emotions will just take care of themselves when we continually work for the outcome. Right. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, may you have a very safe and wonderful holiday. You too. Thank you. All righty. Does anybody else have anything to say or what do you want coached on? We have canceled 4th of July. (laughs) I'm hoping we have a hand surgeon on the call today because the 4th of July is the worst holiday for hand surgeons. We have scalpel wielder and sunny day. Um, anything else? Okay. Canceled 4th of July. And scalpel wielder. So canceled 4th of July was first and scalpel wielder was second. Okay. Hi there. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have taken care of what turns out to be a very difficult patient. Um, but one of the things, and, and I will say that as like a socially difficult patient, um, 
and I work in an academic center and it's rather formal in that the doctors are all referred to as doctor, although I find many patients have started to call me by my first name. Mm-hmm. Um, this person is an RN that I was asked by somebody who I've previously worked with. This person works in her clinic and I essentially did a favor to see this patient very quickly. And she repeatedly both in person and in writing and like patient portal messages refers to me by miss. So, you know, miss my first name, Um, but then refers to her male gynecologist as Dr. So-and-so. And I've just found it incredibly off-putting from the very beginning. And, and I recognize that some patients are going to call you by your first name, which is not the typical thing mm-hmm. where I work. Um, but I find it particularly off-putting when I'm called by my first name or by Miss So-and-so um, when male physicians are being called doctor. Okay. And I think it just really sort of clouds my approach to the whole medical situation. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, um, is this a nurse, you know, is it somebody who you're friends with or have some familiarity with? No, it is. So she works at a different hospital in a primary care clinic and the, um, essentially her supervisor is actually an APRN who I know, but not very well either. And she's in, in this nurse is the patient. Correct. Okay. And, um, like what's the context of the emails? Is it regarding her own care? Yes. And then when you sign off on your note, when you reply, how do you sign it? Uh, it's signed first and last name, comma, MD, and then my like fellowship credentials. And um, have you told her? That you want to be called doctor? No, but I refer to myself as doctor and the nurses in our clinic, as well as the other providers from our team that have interacted with her, all refer to me as doctor. But you haven't specifically said, I prefer to be addressed as doctor or something along those lines? Correct. Okay. And then, and then there's some kind of correspondence where the male gynecologist is also looped in and is referred to as doctor. Looped in separate from me. Like they work at a different facility. But like, how do you know that she's referring to him as doctor? Oh, she said that she's called him. I've called doctor. So, and so my gynecologist. Okay. So, like, casually in her communication with you, she refers to this other dude as Dr. So-and-so. Correct. Okay, got it, got it, got it. All right. Um, So, this is, like, a time-old thing that people experience, right? And I have some theories about it. And I am particularly... um, 
it's interesting to me um, from the point of view is that I've never really cared what people call me until recently when I've been sort of like reading these reports on Facebook and, and other things where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is actually a thing where women are not addressed by their title the way women, the way men are. So it's yet another fundamental unfairness in our role as surgeons. I think everybody would probably agree on that. The question is, is what to do about it? And you mentioned that it's clouding your care of her. Can you tell us more about that? I wouldn't say it's clouding my care, but I feel, I guess, a tension, like an irritation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So patient refers to me as miss. That's even worse than your first name. <laughs> exactly. I think that's actually the part of it. Like I've been called my first name a lot. I've never been called miss because I'm like, you've chosen to use some sort of like clarifier and yet it's like very demeaning. Yeah. Um, okay. And so what do you think when, when, what does that trigger in you? What's the thought? I think it feels disrespectful. Okay. Or I feel disrespected, I guess. What's the thought? Like she doesn't respect me. Yeah. Okay. And you feel disrespected. So then what do you do? Uh, Complain about her. And the situation. I think I feel frustrated that I have, from my perspective, gone out of my way to help her. And yet I'm still being disrespected. How have you gone out of your way? Um, Because it's like a provider in another clinic. I added her on and in a more expeditious way than the average patient getting a referral would be added on. Okay. Kind of like the we take care of our own type situation. Uh, Okay. Got it. And so what's the outcome of all of this? The outcome is, is that she continues to call you miss. You're miss, not doctor. (laughs) That's the result is you're miss. Despite the fact that you've like done concierge medicine for this patient, um, you're still miss. Okay. Now let's do what we did with the last person and work from the bottom up. So what's the ideal outcome? I think that she addresses me as doctor or addresses me equally compared to other physicians. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here and suggest that maybe there's a different ideal outcome, which is that the patient gets the best possible care. Yeah. Like the patient... Um, irrespective of her irritating behavior, gets 
you know, like a, the kick-ass version of you. Which I think that she has. I don't think her care has been compromised. I think my sort of attitude towards the situation could be yeah. better. Or maybe a better way to sol- to say it would be like her problem is completely solved, whatever that problem is. Like anytime we're dealing with a patient, isn't the ideal outcome that they're pa- that the patient's problem is just solved? Yeah. Okay. Because my guess is, is that if we focus on that, kind of like the last client we were talking about focusing on an outcome and stuff ends up happening as a byproduct, my guess is, is that she will be respectful of you and addressing you as your proper title when you focus on solving her problem solely. Let's try it on. I don't know if I'm right, but let's just try it on. So patient's problem solved. What do you have to do to solve her problem? Probably like what? Um, Get the correct diagnosis, do the do testing. Yeah, I think that um, like the bigger sort of issue is that her problem turned out to be more of a zebra than a horse. Yeah. And so from the beginning, I sort of approached it as like common things are common and wasn't getting the expected results. Um, and, you know, ultimately, like, did a procedure in the office that didn't get the expected results. So took her to the operating room and got a very, une- got the same, but like far more unexpected result. Um, and everything seemed fine. And I, I sort of offered reassurance that like, yes, this is unexpected, but, um, you know, we've now done, we need to give it some time to see how things settle out. Um, and ultimately it uncovered like a very, what we think is like very aberrant vascular anatomy that led to significant bleeding that probably figured out the problem, but not necessarily in the right or optimal way. So I think we've like figured it out and treated her. Um, but it's like a difficult thing for, it's not, a, it's not the common thing. And it's, it's kind of difficult for her to wrap her head around the fact that this is like a very rare situation. Okay. So I just call that be a super sleuth. And I mean, that's just the way it works though. Sometimes, isn't it? How, Common things are common, but they're, but zebras do exist. And sometimes we stumble on them and we take care of them. And it just may be a little bit clunky along the way, but it ends up half, like the right thing happens in the mm-hmm. long run. That's kind of what you just described if I was listening properly. Mm-hmm. So in order to solve her problem, you be a super sleuth and then you take care of what comes up. Um... zebra or otherwise and then communicate with her in a way as an expert now you know i i'm not sure if you've heard me talk about the vibe thing before when you're um 
interacting with her, like, and we're watching this on a screen, say, what, how would you characterize the sort of vibe that this patient brings and then the vibe that you bring? Like, would we see, uh, you know, what, what would we describe her character as in the scene? Um, so I think there's a lot of anxiety about the problem. And when I tried to indicate that I thought it was not the common thing, she was very questioning. Okay. So she's got some, she's got some apprehension about it. And she probably as a nurse has like just enough knowledge to be dangerous. Maybe, maybe I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm just trying to be realistic. And then there were other, like, she was like, well, should I reach out to you directly if I have problems? And I said, well, you know, I have a very full clinic and I'm in the operating room on a really complex case the next day. So the best thing will be to reach out to the nursing staff as we would have all patients. And her response was that she feels like a very tiny fish in in my very complicated, you know, other medical life Um, as if I was somehow like demeaning her and I was like no no this is like the normal process here and I just want you to be aware that I'm not immediately available yes okay this is super super important though so if we take a moment and see this from her perspective and we think okay she's probably anxious and scared and and she has just enough knowledge to make her dangerous and she feels like a small fish in a giant pond she feels like out of control is my guess. And you're indicating to her that she's a small fish in a giant pond because that's the system. Then what she's doing, her action is call you miss instead of doctor. And that is one way she can exert some form of control over this whole situation. Does that sound like that could be true? Um, potentially. I mean, she was calling me Miss way before this, so mm-hmm. it's probably part of the theme of the whole interaction and the whole situation of her having a problem she doesn't have control over. Yeah, maybe. And, like, also, when we consider what her likely grooming has been, right? She's groomed just like the rest of us with all this unconscious bias and it makes this sort of like soup around uh, basically sort of saying whatever you want to a woman, but calling a male doctor, doctor. So she wouldn't be able to exert that kind of control with him, but she can with you because of the grooming that we've all had. This is this. These are like the deep thoughts that I have about why things are the way they are or why somebody might be white might be doing this action i might be wrong but um if it's important to you to be referred to as doctor i think it's important to understand like the moving parts of the whole scene um okay so i that was a little bit of a departure but if we return to this like Is there a way to create a sense of um, you're a big fish in a small pond with this lady, even in spite of your system being the way it is? 
I mean, it's in- so like continuing on. I think she's she continues to contact our nursing staff and our PA, and then my partner who ultimately took care of her and was on call when this other event took place. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, requesting a detailed list of changes to any progress notes that were made because of mild inaccuracies um demanding that paperwork be done on her particular time schedule um demanding addendums to letters and and really overstepping boundaries Mm. um such that like the entire like nursing staff is just like frustrated and so it's not just me and I think that's where this like she is acting as the big fish and is getting treatment that's above and beyond what is going on and yet make comments about the you know lack of attention to her Mm -hmm. and so then that's the other possibility right it's like this person is just like nuts and just gonna do what she's doing for whatever reasons and there's nothing you can do about who what she calls whom when um, I guess the, the bigger thing is, is like, yes, it would be great if everybody called you doctor and called me doctor and called every woman surgeon doctor. And I think that ultimately there will be a time when we get to that, where we have enough just baseline respect, where that's the thing where we're referred to by the degree that we hold. Um, and obviously we're not there yet, but on the way there, how is it that we can show up and continually try to just sort of like shift the culture if it's important enough? Because it may not be possible for this lady, you know, as we get more and more details from the story, it's either, you know, there's a reason why she's acting this way and there's, there's something that you could potentially do with your engagement with her that would shift what she calls you or there isn't. And she's just like off the deep end doing all these things as the squeaky wheel. Um, and it's not going to be possible, but what is it that you truly want and how, and what are you willing to do to get it? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, just today for the first time, she sent a message like referring to me as doctor. Right. Why Several weeks of, I think, of interaction with our nursing staff where they repeatedly refer to us as doctor. Mm-hmm. And I was like surprised to see it and was like, oh, I see it's shifted. <laughs> and I don't fully understand why beyond constant reinforcements from outsiders, essentially. I mean, that might be a really effective way to get somebody to refer to somebody as their proper name or title. Like, what if you guys just stumbled on the solution, which is constant reinforcement of your proper, your proper title? That would be very awesome if that's all it takes. But my guess is, is that something else happened that shifted her thought about you. Do you think that there's any way in which you engaged with her that shifted her thought? I don't think so, because 
while I was the initial person who interacted with her for like the first week, it's mainly been my partner or our clinic nurse. Mm -hmm. But I'm like ultimately the person she'll follow up with. So I don't think it's like any sort of thing that I did. I really, 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 really wish you would ask her for our <laughs> to feel like I noticed you called me miss for four weeks. And then in this last one, you addressed me as Dr. So-and-so. And I wonder what changed. That would be so interesting to know what ended up changing, because ultimately we we all want to be referred to that way, I think. I mean, it's been something I've been like ruminating on for weeks and like haven't been able to make some of the coaching sessions. And then yeah. was like, oh, I'm going to bring it up tonight. And then like today got the message and I was like, oh, interesting. It really is. And I don't think that this coaching solved anything, but I think it would be worth revisiting. Um, because there was one other thing that I wanted to mention that I didn't um, put in here is that one of the actions we could do is just simply request to be called something. Like if some people call me Dr. McDaniel and I just say, well, it's Dr. McMichael. And then I tell this funny story about how I like to think about myself as McMichael Jordan and everybody cracks up in hilarity. Um, and, and that just sort of cements my name in their brain. It's not Dr. And miss, but it's like McMichael versus McDaniel. So I have no problem correcting people. And, um, it's usually super lighthearted and, and not accusatory in any way. And I just wonder, is there a technique we could develop that could just help invite somebody to call you by the, your proper title? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I introduce myself as doctor. I say I'm a surgeon. I've asked the nursing staff to call me doctor in front of the patients. And yet I'll sit through an hour long consult and the patient will ask when they're going to meet the surgeon and when will he operate on them. And I mean, I'm seven years into practice now. Like, I, yeah, people say I look young, but <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's like difficult because you're like, okay, wait, I just spent all this time counseling you and like, it's unclear how much you've actually absorbed even. Yeah. Um, with your permission, this, I don't think this is the last we've heard of this topic. And with your permission, I would like to ponder and maybe even talk with Kelly and see if there's something additional we could offer where we could do a deeper dive into this situation um, and into this particular circumstance of you know, the fundamental unfairness about how we're viewed as not the doctor, not the surgeon. It would probably be worthwhile. I'll put my thinking cap on about it. Um, Yeah, I'm going to put my thinking cap on about it. And um, would you mind terribly um, messaging me afterwards since I don't know who you are so that I can ask you a couple more details if you so are so inclined? Sure. And then we can 
I think it would be kind of fun to have like a bonus call about this particular um, topic. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely send you a message. Cool. Um, so I don't think that I arrived at any particular good coaching on this for you. And it sounds like you didn't need it anyway, because the lady shifted her thought and is now referring to you as doctor, but it would be so fascinating to figure out why, like, what was it that shifted for her? Um, and that could be crucial for us, you know, moving forward. Mm -hmm. So no pressure on asking her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So there was one other person that had her hand raised and I'm willing to stay on as long as needed. If you still have something to talk about and I don't remember who it was, was it scalpel? Okay. Scalpel wielder. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and bring scalpel wielder on. Okay. Can, can you say something? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, by the way, that was that last, um, session was really good. That last, um, model revamp because I actually had an issue recently with a nurse patient as well. Um, uh-huh. she was upset that I had fast enough for her. And instead of complaining to me when she saw me in the hallway, she chewed out my various office staff. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but um, the thing I wanted to ask you guys about, and I don't know if we want to run a model on this, mm-hmm. but I'm originally, I'm from the East Coast and I'm from a place where people are very direct. I'm struggling a little bit here on the West Coast with people um, being much more passive aggressive and indirect. And when they're annoyed with something I do, not telling me right away. And then I do get feedback about it, which is helpful. And I appreciate that. But it's anywhere from like two days to two weeks to two months later. And um, I don't know how to deal with that. Like, for instance, my um, surgical scheduler is retiring. And after she announced her retirement, my boss and my office manager told me that the way I was doing my consents and my operative, like the titles for the operations was confusing her. But they told me this after she announced her retirement. And I'm like, well, guys, I would have adjusted this, but you didn't say anything to me to give me a chance to do that. So I kind of feel like, um, you know, people are always, and I realize this happens other places too. I know what happens in the Midwest because I live there as well, but I don't really know how to cope with like this kind of weird passive aggressive stuff. Cause I'm so used to a culture where everyone just yells at you right in front of your face, which I mean, has its pros and cons too, but I just figured I'd ask for some input on that. Yeah. Um, isn't that funny how there are these regional differences in the way people engage with one another? And not only are there reason, uh, regional differences, but there are obvious differences between men and women handle these, the way men and women handle these things. Cause dudes are much more likely to just go for it. And women right. on the, on balance are more likely to be passive and communicate yeah. passively. Not everybody, you know, but often. So again, this is another juicy topic. So let's look. Um, okay. So this is they, um, somebody says, okay, so your scheduler is retiring. Yeah. And they, somebody who said it, you, um, 
Oh, both my boss and my my boss told me that she was struggling with some of my consents. And then I spoke to my office manager and my office manager had actually already like pulled aside the ones that she was confused about. And I was extra surprised about it because this lady is pretty straightforward and like would often come ask me stuff in my office. Um, And I've never rejected her from, you know, come and ask me stuff. So I I didn't think that that would be an issue because she would always Mm -hmm. ask me whatever she needed. Okay. All right. So the scheduler's retiring. And then the boss says, after she announces her retirement, your consents are confusing your scheduler. And, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. And of course we were in the operating room doing like a really hard case that I recruited him to help me on. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) what am I supposed to do with this piece of information right now? (laughs) So I'm just trying to write the fuck. And then how did you feel? <laughs> Were you confused? Um, I this? felt like um, I was confused and I felt, I don't know if maybe guilty is the right word because I didn't want to upset my scheduler and I like working with her, but I definitely felt like some kind of bad emotion that, you know, I was causing her distress. But then I also felt annoyed because instead of saying anything to me, they just gathered like six cases up and didn't say, hey, can we simplify the consents? They're just like, oh, your consents are confusing her. And now she retired. Okay. And so then what did you do? Um, well, I just, I spoke to my office manager and I was like, well, I offered with both my office manager and my boss to try to streamline the consents. I said, I'm happy to look at his consents and see, you know, if I can make my match more closely to his. Um, and since we're going to be hiring a new scheduler too, I said, look, I can try to streamline my consents as much as possible and make things as straightforward as possible, even if they may be different than my bosses. Okay. But, you know, I was like, well, you know, Trish didn't, my scheduler didn't tell me this. So I said, I'll, I'll look, I can try to help going forward, but I can't do too much about it now. <laughs> I can try to change the ones going forward from here, but. Yeah, I was like, I didn't really know what to to do because I'm already in a spot where she retired, and I felt like they were kind of like ten percent blaming me for her retiring. Oh, do you think so? Um, the way my boss said it, it certainly kind of sounded like it. My office manager said she's been ready to retire for a while. I mean, she even told me that like when I started the job, she's like, mm. "Yeah, we think she's you know hanging in like post COVID just for a bit till she can." retire but the way my boss said it he sounded like a little like blamey interesting I'm adding that to the um to the C because we pick up on these things from other people and and it doesn't do us any good not to put that in the circumstance line because It's true. Like, I like to think about how things look on a movie screen because you can tell when you're watching actors on a movie screen, you can tell what the vibe is and you can pick up on it. It's like, oh, yeah, like the way they're enunciating and their body language and all of that, you can pick up on that sort of stuff. So if you are picking up on he's blaming you, then I can see why you would feel guilty. And my guess is dominating this because who gives a shit otherwise? Like. 
Right. Who cares about this consent? I mean, the bigger issue is, is like, oh, your boss is, think- is somehow blaming you for this woman retiring, which is not even true, probably. Right. right. Yeah. So, okay. Well, that makes more sense then. Um, so if that's kind of like what's underlying all of it, what would be the ideal outcome for you in all of yeah, it? Yeah, I think, um, I think the ideal outcome would be that, um, I don't know. I kind of wish I felt like not blamed for her retiring, but I mean, I don't think my boss will, I don't know. See, the other part that's like confounding it is that we haven't found a replacement for her. So I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm carrying this in my head, but I'm like stressing a lot because my contract renewal is up in August and she's retiring in August and we haven't found anyone to replace her. So I'm like stressed out about all these things and I feel like I'm being blamed for her leaving. And so that's adding to the stress and I don't know how to handle that. Like, I don't know. Cause I think some of it, I don't know if I'm putting it on myself. And I don't know that I can find a surgical scheduler. I mean, I think what I want, what I, the ideal outcome would be that she decides to stay on for longer, but I don't think that's like at all feasible. I think the next outcome would be that we streamline the next few weeks so we can get as many cases scheduled as possible. So we get the next person like a lot of time to onboard and ramp up. So it sounds like that whether she stays or goes, an ideal outcome is that you have a kick-ass scheduler. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to put kick-ass scheduler in the ideal outcome. And presumably you want to stay at this place. Yeah. I like my job. I just have to figure out how to deal with these little conflicts. Yeah. So I'm going to say the result is that you stay and there's a kick-ass scheduler. So what would need to happen for you to get a kick-ass scheduler? Well, I'm going to say say that it sounds like this lady, as passive aggressive as she and these people are, might be a real asset to you right now because she is going to be there until August. And it would be the perfect time to squeeze her like a sponge and get all the information out of her that you need for either creating a situation that she would want to stay in or finding the best replacement possible. She's probably your ticket. Yeah. How long has she been in the group? Over 30 years. Oh, holy shit. So she's, she's your linchpin. So we want to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they never had another person in, in her role, like even temporarily, except, except for the rare times she's out sick, the office manager will try to move the schedule forward. Yeah. So I hope what I'm, I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down here. She sounds like a real asset to the group. And irrespective of everybody's ineffective way that they communicate passive aggressively, you have an opportunity here over the next couple of months to try to get as extract as much data out of this lady as possible. And in the process, you could end up making a situation where she feels so valued because of what yeah. you're trying to extract from her. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And it's a win-win, right? Like she's either going to like want to stay or she's going to help you find a replacement. I mean, right. or the group. I mean, it's not probably your responsibility to find the replacement, but the group is what I'm saying. So like engage with 
scheduler to extract information. And in the process, possibly create a scenario where she would want to stay. Yeah. So how would you imagine that would look? Well, I think this is where things get a little more interesting. Um, part of the problem I know is that there's part of her job that she really hates. Mm -hmm. um, she's, you know, she's in her sixties and she's very good at what she does. Just, you know, like just surgical scheduling and making sure our patients have braces and ordering like pre-op scans. Um, she really hates when she has to answer the phone for the office, like sometimes she has to sit up front and that drives her bananas. Mm -hmm. She hates picking up the phone. And then I think part of it too, is she got into this dynamic with the other two people who work up front because they dislike that she won't answer the phone or like help them when they're drowning in work. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, like she's just, her job is to be a surgical scheduler. It's not, really her job to do this other stuff and it'd probably be better for our practice if she could just focus on being the surgical scheduler and we find someone else to answer phones. Yeah. I mean, how interesting, right? This lady who is a 30 year veteran of this group is probably the keeper of all knowledge of the group and yeah, a particular opportunity here for you to not only speak with her, but also with the group to say, listen, this is, this uh, is going to be expensive to leave this for her, for us to lose her. And she's earned her right to not answer the fucking phone. She's been there for 30 years and she's apparently done a yeah. good job at the thing that she is there to do. So why don't we all rally around yeah. this lady and have her back and create a situation that she really wants to stay in? Like, do you have the ability to say those sorts of things to your partners? And be like, we can't I, lose her. I think so. I mean, I think we could probably, if we, we made the job more focused on what she just wants to do, um, and I would do my part. Like, I'm happy to, you know, to make things easier for her if she just tells me what she needs. And I, I can reiterate that to her, I, I think, without offending her. Um, right. And I think she probably would stay a little longer. Uh, she'll probably still want to retire by the end of the year, but... Um, yeah, I imagine it, we could probably get her to stick around with a bit more. Right. It could be a bridge, right? A bridge for you to find the next best person. Um, because uh, August is like five minutes from now. <laughs> it's right around yeah. the corner. So, I mean, I can see a way in which you could have conversations with this person that would be not passive aggressive, very direct, because that's what you're good at, probably. And say, listen, I see that you're quite an asset to this group. And here are the yeah. ways in which I see that you're an asset. And I've also noticed there are these other things that are kind of like hanging over your head with this job that don't look particularly appealing. What if we could make those things go away? Does that sound interesting yeah. to you? What do you think? Or you're the keeper of the knowledge of this group. Help, you know, how, how can I 
do things differently in a way that's going to make it better for everybody. Like just rolling them in, rolling the counterpart in mm-hmm. on all of it, which is very direct. That's there's nothing passive about that. It's mm-hmm. like coming out and asking questions about what their opinion is about how things are going down. Mm-hmm. And those sorts of conversations actually create a sense of value for people. Like they act, they're like, wait, you give a shit about my opinion. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. you actually cared about my opinion. I didn't actually realize you cared about the fact that I hate answering the phones. I didn't realize that this, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, I think it's an opportunity. So like I was saying before, when we have an ideal outcome that we're working for, you can do those things irrespective of how you feel, but it's mm-hmm. easier to do those things if we feel a certain way. So what would be a good feeling to allow um, you to show up in that manner? Yeah, I would like to feel confident that she'll uh, do a good job the last few weeks and not be like checked out and confident that my practice is either looking to help her stay or um, really doing a good job recruiting a new scheduler and that also hasn't been going so well apparently like we've only gotten bites from people who do medical scheduling like medical stuff mm-hmm. but not surgical scheduling but, I mean so, I don't know if my boss understands like what a disaster it could be soon it's coming up that's so funny you use the word disaster because the thought that I'm imagining in my brain as you describe this is I'm like thinking okay what's a powerful thought here powerful thought in my mind is I I'm willing to do whatever it takes to keep the shit from hitting the fan. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I am like, I am willing to stay late to help them even to like, you know, if there are things that she needs me to take on temporarily, I'm not thrilled about it, but if it keeps her here longer so that we can do a better job when we replace her, that's, you know, I'll suck it up and deal with it. And then when you think that something like that, when you think that thought, how do you feel? Um, I feel slightly annoyed that I have to do that, but I, my annoyedness is outweighed by my desire to keep things here rolling well. Yeah. So what? how could we sum that up? There's probably a really powerful thought there. Uh, excuse me, not a thought, a powerful feeling in that, like, yeah, sometimes we're annoyed at duty, but we do it anyway. It's like a, um, yeah, uh, like a like, like call, like we were saying before. Yeah, it's like it's like a conviction or like a, um, like a commitment to the greater good or something along those lines. Like, if you're really on a team here, yeah, everybody is kind of working as valued members of the team. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to keep the team moving forward. Even if it's painful, even if I'm annoyed, even if it's frustrating, even if these people don't engage very skillfully and they're passive aggressive, like I'm willing to keep showing up with the Northeastern power that I have. Or you didn't say Northeastern, you said Eastern. Well, no, Northeast. That's why like here, man, the way people interact is like completely foreign to me. I feel like I'm in another country. But isn't it powerful? Like the way the, that directness, isn't it powerful? Yeah. And it, I think it's very helpful in the OR, especially because a lot of times like I'll have a male anesthesiologist, a male circulator and a male scrub. 
So I think most of the time it serves me really well because yeah. in those situations, you know, I'm just like, okay, let's do this, this, and this. And they're like, okay, cool. So what I wrote down, I don't know if you can see the, the screen, but what I wrote down is the feeling of Northeastern. Like, it's funny how the the model that we started <laughs> off with was like this passive aggressive sort of soup of confusion where you feel guilty and terrible, but what would take to get it done to actually get it done of like having a kick-ass schedule or having this lady stay is for you to be the like most Northeastern version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Like, That's probably true. What gets it done is being direct. Yeah. Ooh, that's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Can you keep us posted? This is going to be like a saga. Yeah, I know. I'm hoping the saga turns out okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we'll, we'll see. Definitely. Um, I just wanted to say for everybody's benefit before we sign off that Rapunzel said to everybody, a moment of levity about the previous topic, my office consult today, who was older and easily confused, asked multiple times if I, the if I was the quote unquote Rapunzel they were supposed to see, substituting my first name. I was offended at first, but then my admin walked them to the garage and they not only didn't remember where their car was, but <laughs> also didn't remember what color their car is. So then I realized <laughs> that for them to remember my name, any part of my name was a minor miracle and also am also terrified that they're on the roads. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Sometimes it really does say more about the patient than the doctor. Yeah. What that is so true. And I would just encourage everybody when you're thinking about these things, think about both sides. Think about what you're doing. Think about what they're doing. It's in my mind, the easiest way is to imagine what it would look like on a movie screen. And you can, you can predict what's going to happen when you can see how people show up on both sides of any interaction. So there's, it always takes two to tango. Okay, you guys, thanks for staying late and have a great fourth. Hopefully nobody has a terrible call and I'll see you next time. Thank you all.